for those that have given their lives, their families that are still with us today. We have Veterans Day in America. It's a celebration, a weekend celebration, flags everywhere. That's to honor the men and women that are living today that are helping our nation experience freedom. But Memorial Day is different. Memorial Day is a day that we remember those that have died so we might be free. It's almost as if as a nation we have forgotten our history. We've forgotten the great world wars that America fought in. And America fought not to go possess other nations. The only ground that we got in other nations were cemeteries. We went there to preserve freedom in the world. The world today is very different than when I was a child. When I was a child, uh, patriotism was presumed in America. Whenever you pledge the Pledge of Allegiance, when the flag was there, it was no question whether you'd put your hand on your chest and repeat the pledge. When I was young, the Constitution was honored as the founding document and the living document for the day. But it's different today. America today is in kind of a state of flux. And I want to particularly encourage you that are younger today as you think about the kind of America that you want. Many talking heads on television, many people are tweeting ideas. Socialism, communism filtered in the mix, suggesting that they are better than individual freedom and liberty and, and, and the freedom to, uh, to succeed in life. I want to encourage you to remember a voice like you just heard from this older man in World War II and let his voice speak to you for the America that we want to have in the future today. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Well, I am glad you're here. Let me welcome you. Uh, uh, hopefully it's a lots of people watching online. Many got to go out of town. How many are going to go out of town this weekend? Wave your hand at me here. Not very many, mostly staying in town. Well, who's doing a big barbecue tomorrow? Let me see your hand. Linnell, look around real quick, honey. Okay. So who's eating sardines tomorrow or Viennese sausage? You guys are not very responsive this morning. Okay, let's try it again. How many were here last week when we started this series on spiritual terrorism? Wave your hand at me. Okay, all right, now that's better. How about you missed it last week? Missed it last week, today's your first. Okay, good. Let me give you a little update. The series is spiritual terrorism. And there's a truth in the Bible. The Bible teaches that there is a war being waged against an unseen enemy. That for the Christian, the devil is real and demons are real. Now, you might want to go back and listen to last week's message because I developed the modern view. We quoted from psychology today, a view that there is no God, there are no demons, there's nothing outside the natural world that we see. But yet the Bible teaches us that the devil is real, that demons are real. And I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question as we begin, am I going to be influenced by the clear teaching of the Bible or will I be influenced by the secular teaching that says Satan and demons and demonology are simply mythology or something for an uneducated time? I don't know about you, but I'm picking the Bible. How many can say I'm with you there, Pastor? <laughs> Ephesians 6 is our text. It says, put on all God's armor so you may be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. 
Now, how many know if you build a house, like this, this building when it, was, uh, when it was being built, before we did anything to it, uh, our architect, Joe Cruz, that goes to our church, began to develop plans. And before we knew it, we had a stack that thick of a strategy to develop a church house. And then all we did was work out the plan. And we ended up with the conclusion that we have today. Well, Satan has strategies that he wants to use against people. Uh, notice what it says. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, people are not the problem. But listen, we are fighting in this battle against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. A repetition, evil rulers, authorities, mighty powers, evil spirits. And where are they? The unseen world, the dark world, in heavenly places. So this is what we're talking about. Last week was kind of an introduction. If you were here, and again, I would encourage you to listen. It's all online if you missed it. But last week we looked at like a puzzle, and we dumped the puzzle pieces out. I had 27 scriptures last week, and none of them portrayed Satan as the exorcist, where, you know, that woman is spinning around, her head spinning around. None of them. None of the examples last week had someone with a long green tongue sticking out or green vomit, you know, the paranormal, the weird. But it was about Satan and how he subtly tries to influence our lives. Uh, there's another scripture that I believe has great bearing on this. 2 Corinthians 11:14. It says Satan does what? Disguises himself or he masquerades as an angel of light. Now, what does that mean? That we're not even aware he's involved. That Satan works through people and no one knows that it's a demonic spirit that's influencing their lives. So I want you to lay, put on the far extremes, the extra weird paranormal exorcist gathering maniac, and look at everyday life, how Satan might be involved trying to control and manipulate us. Because this is what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about how Satan wants to manipulate and control people to do his bidding. Now, my text, I want to look at a simple phrase to begin, and then we're going to elaborate on it in the course of the message. Uh, Luke chapter 22, and I want you to say this with me, verse 3. The scripture says, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Satan entered, just like you entered a door in the sanctuary, Satan entered Judas. And what I'm going to show you is nobody even knew it. Nobody knew what was happening, but a demonic presence was influencing him to betray Jesus Christ. The grand warfare in the heaven around the crucifixion is, is almost Satan in his ignorance had no idea what Jesus, that the necessity of the crucifixion and the shedding of his blood would do for humanity. He was trying to stop it. Uh, and he used three people in this plan. First of all, in his strategic plan to crucify Christ, he used the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the uh, Jewish leaders who stirred up the people to crucify Christ. He got them involved. And why? He used envy. And I want you to think of this phrase today, a door where Satan enters. I'll show you today. He used envy to get the Pharisees to betray Christ. Then he knew he would have a problem because the Jews were forbidden for this kind of capital execution, but yet the Romans, Romans would. So there was a man named Pontius Pilate, 
And you know Pontius Pilate believed Jesus was telling the truth. He didn't believe that Jesus was evil. He wanted to let him go. But guess what happened? The Pharisees said, if you're a friend of this Jesus, you're not a friend of Caesar. So Satan used the love of power to manipulate Pontius Pilate, but he still needed a middleman, someone that was close to Jesus that would do this act of betrayal. And that's what we're going to see today, a case study about how Satan was influenced, how Satan influenced through the love of money, he influenced Judas Iscariot to betray Christ. And I want you to, if you can, just allow this picture to be in your mind in the course of the message. I want you to see these fingers that are trying to control people. Judas betray Christ. Pharisees crucify Christ. Pontius Pilate, okay the crucifixion. Now, that was back then, but I want to suggest this to you in the strongest terms. How many know the Bible says that we're not helpless, but the Bible says that we can resist Satan, and he does what? He'll flee from us. So just, just do your hand with me. Just take one hand and imagine you're the puppet and just pull it down. You don't have to let him manipulate you. You can fight against him when you recognize doors that he enters. Well, this is what we're going to talk about today. Punch your neighbor and say, I think it's going to be pretty good. All right, I've entitled it Judas the Puppet. And let's go deeper now into the text. We're going to read both from John, Luke, and Matthew, uh, and Mark, actually, uh, instead of Matthew, and what they said about this experience. John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary, uh, someone that was deeply changed by Jesus, she took a jar of expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' feet with it. How many people like to have a massage every once in a while? I like to have one every day. I can't get my wife to agree, though. We actually rub each other's feet every day. Uh, that was sweet, wasn't it? Honey, did you hear all that? But anyway, um, how'd you get me off on that? Anointing feet. Uh, now, in their day, it, it was, you know, they were barefooted. They'd walk in the dirt, sandals. Feet were dirty. And one act of hospitality is what you would do when someone came in your house, there'd be available a, a basin of water and there'd be a towel and someone would wash the feet of, you know, of the dinner guest. Well, Mary took a step beyond that. Her life was so transformed by Jesus that she took this perfume and poured it on his feet. Now notice verse 4, Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now, I don't know what you make a year. If you make 30000 a year and all that allows you to do, think about that just being put in a bottle and poured out from his feet to the ground. If you make 300000 a year, think of all the payments that you make and everything that gives you, and it's just poured out. Now, Judas spoke like a good church board member. <laughs> because, you know, a part of what Jesus did in his ministry is they fed the poor. Well, I mean, it takes money to feed the poor. So, so Judas is just simply saying what they probably said, he and Peter, you know, and everybody were talking. We have two accounts where Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, but other than that, they took money, they spit people, gave them, support them, and they'd spend that money and they would spend it on the poor. Now, if that's all you heard about Judas, you would have thought, well, this is a pretty good guy. This guy's doing a good thing. But let's go a little deeper. Verse 6 reveals his heart. I mean, no, the manipulation doesn't take place outwardly. It takes place inwardly. Not that he cared for the poor, for he was a thief. thief. 
And he was in charge of the disciples' money. He often, remember that, he often stole some for himself. Why don't you let that sink in just a second? Here's this guy that on the outside, everything looks great. Nobody knows what's going on on the inside. But Satan is weaving a strategy to get him to betray Christ. Money was the most important thing in Judas's life. I'm going to talk about this idea of the love of money, but this is not a sermon about money. This is a sermon about control and manipulation. But the love of money was the door. And let me say this. You don't have to be rich to love money. How many know there's a lot of people that are poor, that are struggling, that love money? There's a difference between wanting to have more money and loving money, and we'll try to talk about that. But it's not based on how much you have. It's based on does it have you? Uh, Judas would do anything to get more money, even betraying the Savior of the world. And what I want you to see this today is that the love of money was the door that Satan used to manipulate and control Judas. How many know money's not evil? So usually when I ask a question, people respond. How many know money's not evil? No. If you think money is evil, see me. I'll be at the door, the front door after churches, and you can give me all that evil money, and I'll take my wife somewhere nice for Memorial Day. I mean, that's, I mean money is not evil. Money is a good thing. You know God blesses us with money? How many would like to have a little more money? Wave your hand at me. The rest of you are fibbing, fibbing, fibbing. Everybody would. Everybody has dreams. I have a list of things I'd like to buy. How many do? Come on, wave your hand now. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that about having dreams and ambitions. But here's the deal. If it begins to control you and you violate biblical principles to get it and keep it, that's where the danger comes in. It was the love of money. Let's continue now the story of of Judas, Luke 22. The leading priests were plotting to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Remember, we've got three puppets. We've got the Pharisees, the leading priests. We've got, uh, we've got Pontius Pilate, and both of those are already in place. We've got Judas. We need a middleman for the strategy to be complete. You see, he needed someone to turn Jesus over away from the crowd. And look at verse 3. It was then, very strategic, a timing element, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Now, I'm going to look at this word, Satan entered Judas. What it implies, first of all, he was not a robot. It does not imply that he was, that he was uh, controlled and he couldn't help himself. It implies that he willingly allowed his hand to go up. Satan knocked and found an inner desire. He found a way he could influence and manipulate. But just as important, he found somebody who said yes. Uh, I watched some silly TV show the other day, and someone broke in someone's house. And what they did, they knocked on the door. And what the person did is they went to the door, and they opened the door. And then this person that did bodily harm to them rushed through the door and they hurt them. How many know if the door had remained shut and the deadbolt and all that, they'd have been safe? We don't have to open the door to Satan. I want to remind you again, the Bible says if we resist him, he will flee. He will run from us. Greater is he, the Holy Spirit in us, than the devil that's in the world. You and I are not helpless pawns in this game. How many can say the Spirit of God is in us? The same Spirit that filled the disciples, and God has given us power. But he found someone that would give in. 
Now, did you know that even his closest friends were not aware he was under Satan's influence? See, when we think about somebody under the Satan's influence, we think of a man called the Gadarene Maniac. Uh, he lived in the tombs. He was homeless. He would break chains. You knew he stunk, I'm sure. I mean, just a wild, crazy person. But Judas was not like that. You know, Judas dressed nice. Judas had nice things. Judas had wisdom. Judas was a numbers guy. He was good with money. His closest friends didn't even know that he was under Satan's influence. And I, sometimes I look at politicians and what they do, and, and it's pretty clear, I think, you know, when, 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 when they're being influenced demonically. But, you know, it could be that someone in your family has opened a door. It could be that, you know, uh, someone in your workplace. It could be your boss. It could be someone that works for you. And we open doors, and that, again, that doesn't mean that we become wild, murdering people with Uzis. It simply means there's a setup going on and we're being influenced. John 13, his friends didn't know. Look at verse 21. Satan entered him and then Jesus said, hurry and do what you're going to do. That is, go out and betray me. But none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Isn't that interesting? Nobody else knew what was going on. Some thought Jesus was telling him to go and buy food or pay for the food or give some money to the poor. And this is what I want to try to open eyes today is to make us realize that in perhaps in our lives and in the lives of other people, what's happening is it's a demonic setup to control and manipulate. I, I, I decided to add a message to the series this week called Offenses the bait of Satan. How many know if Satan can get you offended, he can separate you from the people of God. He can separate you from God's purpose. He can separate you from the church. God called you, God planted you, but yet you get offended. Something bothers you. Something hurts your feelings. Some, some misunderstanding, you know. Somebody didn't recognize your birthday. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge, big thing. But Satan wants to manipulate and control. Look at verse 4. Judas went to the leading priest to discuss the best ways to betray Jesus to them. And they promised to give him money. So he started looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So they could arrest him. Here's what I want to ask you. How could anyone betray the Savior of the world and sell their soul for 30 silver <laughs> coins? It's my money. It's mine. You get away. It's mine. We're in trouble now. My iPad says slide to power off. <laughs> oh, gosh. Hope my password works. Uh-oh. That wants a password, not my thumbprint. We're back. <laughs> now, we laugh about that. Here's the problem I have today. I can't really tell you what the love of money is. I can tell you, though, the fruit of the evidence is I love God more than I love the things of the world. I can tell you, uh, it's grieved my heart over the years. 
I've watched people become successful. When they were struggling and didn't have much, they were plugged into God, they were deep in God, they were worshipers, they were servant. But when success came, it was almost like God took second place. You don't have to be rich to love money. Poor people can love money and not be happy until they have more. But I think it's the evidence of what we do to get money and what we do with it that reveals our hearts. Now, again, we're not talking about money, but, but we're talking about control and manipulation. And let me tell you what I think, how Satan did it. This is a, a key foundational point for, to help us. He entered through a door that Judas opened. How I many know Satan is not uh, uh, omnipotent? He's not all-powerful. He can't control us unless we let him. The door was the love of money, and he lived for money and loved money more than God. Money, you could say, became his God. And when he let money be his master, now listen, eventually Satan began to control his life. Paul says a profound illustration of this scripture in 1 Timothy 6. He said, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. Longing to be rich. I just asked you a few minutes ago and told you I'd like to have more money. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with dreams. There's nothing wrong with providing for your future. But it's when this longing begins to control us, we do anything that, that we have to to get it. We'll lie. We'll cheat. Uh, we'll steal, uh, you know, whatever the case is. But listen to what he says. He says, people who long to be rich, so it's, it's, at some point, it's normal to desire to have more. But at some point, it starts to control us. And this is the point we're looking at today. Notice what it says. Uh, people who long to be rich fall into temptation, and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into what? Ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And here's the problem. Some people who craved money and what it can do, because let's face it, if you have health and wealth, you can live like you don't need God. Now you do for the next breath of air but you can live like you don't. The love of money, the root of evil, some people craved it. Now, here's the danger. They have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. My message today is simply in this panorama of open doors is to hopefully cause you to look inside and see this Satan somehow trying to manipulate my life. How many know, though, that demon powers cannot control us if we resist them? Judas had a choice. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll do what? Flee. Flee. Resist means fight back. It means pull that rope. You break that control that you have in your life. But what I'm trying to do today is, is based on a belief that you can't resist him until you recognize what he's doing. And I'm trying to help you recognize. Now, let me give you some other examples because the love of money is only one door. I want to give you another half dozen just to think about. Let's talk about the door of sexual lust and pornography. This is so powerful and profound in our culture today. I'm going to, I'm going to do a message on this in a few weeks. We'll look at David and Bathsheba. We'll look a deep well. I'm going to start with the scripture today, but we'll go deeper. Samson was a man 
that had a great privilege. He was a judge and a deliverer in Israel. In other words, Samson was this man that God was using to help lead the nation. But Judges 16, Satan had found an open door in Samson's life. Uh, verse 1, one day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Now, Gaza, how many know the children of Israel were supposed to stay in and around Israelite folks? Well, what he's doing is he's ignoring God's word and he goes someplace he shouldn't go, but he went with a prostitute. Now, let me say this. Uh, sex in and of itself is wonderful. Come on. And everybody said? Amen. Anybody that was scared to say anything said, oh, me? Sex is a great thing. God created it. The pleasurable experience. How about if sex felt like somebody taking a, 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 a knife and sticking you in the arm? There wouldn't be any babies born in the world. But sex has a great feeling. Listen, God designed it. Uh, he, he put pleasure in it, but he put a circle around it and said, practice it with someone that you're committed to in a lifelong relationship. But the world says, just practice it, just do it, as long as people are consenting. Uh, so, so there was a door knocked on this man's heart. First, it's a prostitute. But notice the escalation. Verse 4, sometime later, Satan or Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Once again, not a Jewish woman. She was a Philistine woman. She was forbidden for him to marry. The rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, entice Samson. In other words, put on your best sexy dress and, tell, and get him to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered. And you know what happened next? He told the secret of his strength. It was his long hair. In the middle of the night, he cut off, or she cuts off his hair while, her, while his head is on her lap. It's just... Sex just drew him, and he said, Yes, I like it. I'm going for it. And it destroyed him. They gouged his eyes out. And they take him as a prisoner, and he's grinding grain for the rest of his life. How did that happen? Satan found a door. He knocked on it. Samson said yes. You know, Satan wants to control our life with illicit sex. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to take the respect your children have away from you. He wants you to perhaps lose your job. He wants to destroy your Christian witness. And this is one door that he uses. And I'll tell you, and we're going to delve deeply in this in a few weeks, but one of the greatest tricks, tools, demonic things that's out there today is pornography. You don't have to be searching for it today. It knocks on my phone every day on my conservative news sites. Somebody in a tight-fitting blouse or whatever the case is. But I'll tell you the problem with pornography. It doesn't make your marriage better, and it doesn't satisfy your sexual needs. It puts you on a path of ex escalation. Come on now. What was enough today is not enough tomorrow, and where it pulls you is it pulls you into perversion. It pulls you into the, into the desire to have sex with a child. It pulls you into the desire to have sex with someone else's spouse. It pulls you into places, listen, friends, that end you up on the front page of the newspaper in an orange outfit. Why am I saying this? I want you to recognize doors and close them. Let me give you another door. Anger, hatred, violence, kind of a, 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 a trifold you know, connection. Anger, hatred, violence, and even murder. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, Cain presented some of the crops. He was one of Adam and Eve's, Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. He gave his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel brought the best portion of the firstborn lamb. Now, if you know the Jewish sacrificial system, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. 
So there was a need, a recognition for atonement. And Adam, or Abel brought a good sacrifice because it had blood involved. Cain did not. Now, here's what happened. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift. He didn't accept Cain's, and this made Cain angry. angry. How many people get angry? Everybody gets angry. You know, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. See, anger in and of itself is a human emotion. Jesus got angry, and he turned the money changer's temple upside down. But what happened, anger became a manipulation point where he pulled him further. And, and then, now this is one of the most profound scriptures of the day, so tune me in if you've, if you've tuned me out. You'll be accepted if you do what is right, if you stay within the boundaries. But if you refuse, here's choice, to do what's right, what's it say? Watch out. Watch out. Why? Because sin is crouching at the door. It's a picture of Satan's offer. And what's it eager to do? Eager to control. Eager to control you. Verse 8, oh, you better subdue it. In other words, you better fight it and tear, break that string, and you better be its master. But he didn't. One day, verse 8, they were in the field. Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. The first murder. Anger in and of itself is not bad, but if you allow it to control you, come on now, it becomes a manipulative tool of Satan. I'm convinced that a lot of the violence that we see in America today, whether it's uh, viol domestic violence in the home or whether it's violence on the streets of, uh, of major cities that we see in riots and burning and all these things, murder and all the violence, I'm convinced there's a spiritual component behind it. And not everything is as it seems. I'm preaching a little better than you're amening. Here's another one, fear. I don't have time to delve into this, but I guarantee you, fear can control you. Remember the spies? There were 12, 10, 12 spies. They went into the promised land. Ten were afraid to go in. Two said we can do it. And fear kept them from doing God's will. I want to tell you, this is one of the biggest things I struggle with since I, I, I had a terrible time with panic attacks a number of years ago. And it's something that has become a part of the fabric of my life, dealing with daily anxiety. And it's a feeling that I'm about to fall off the cliff all day. And fear tries to control me. Can I tell you, friends, there may be some physiological things at work, but there's some spiritual. Don't go out of the house. Don't go to that restaurant. Don't take that trip. Here's another one. Pride. I did it. Now, this is the test of success. It's a whole lot easier to walk close with God when you're struggling than it is when you become successful. It's a pagan man, but it's valuable nonetheless. Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar looked out across Babylon, and notice all these personal pronouns. He looked out across the city and said, By my mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And you know what happened just like that? God judged him. God makes people successful and wealthy. But when he makes the believer successful and wealthy, I promise you it always has a kingdom purpose. But what the devil wants us to do is use all of our success, all of our wealth, to just enjoy worldly things and do worldly things. Are you with me today? And he manipulates us from the pleasure that it brings. Let me give you another one. Envy and jealousy. And I share these with you to hopefully you're looking inside. 
and saying, is this a door where he's manipulating me because it's time for him to stop? Come on, somebody say amen. Envy and jealousy. Envy, jealousy, coveting. It's one of the Ten Commandments. What does that mean? I want what you have. Now, it doesn't mean if somebody has, as I shared last service, a pair of binoculars that you like, that you don't get an improvement in binoculars. But what it means is I'm not going to be happy until I get binoculars like you. Because in, not until I get binoculars will I be successful and will I have what I want and will I be on top of my game. L listen how envy affected religious people. Matthew 27, the crowds gathered around Pontius Pilate and they said, which one do you want us to release? Now think about this. The savior of the world or a criminal could have been released. Verse 18, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of... In other words, even a religious leader... They saw Jesus' authority. They saw the miracles he did. They saw how the crowds followed him. And what they said was, we don't want Jesus doing that. We want that power. We want it, and we'll kill him to get it. All this, uh, unforgiveness, add that to the loop. How many know Satan has things that touch us? Now, let me give you what I think is probably the, the, one of the most key points of the message. Of all those doors, Satan has a strategy and a process to manipulate and control. Satan just didn't start his process with Judas on the day he needed him to betray Jesus. It started way back in his life. And what he does, and the first thing, he looks for a door of weakness in our flesh. Uncontrolled anger doesn't come from my spirit. It comes from my flesh. My lust for money, my lust for forbidden sexual pleasure... That doesn't come from my spirit. It comes from my flesh. And how many can say there's a part of me that likes to sin? Wave your hand at me real high here. You that lie in church. All of us do. It's a part of the human nature. Satan wants to keep knocking until he finds what that place is. And here's the second thing he does. He, so he somehow encourages us to feed it over time. Now, we don't know Judas' past, but we do know that it said he often took the money while he was the treasurer. For two and a half years, he did it, and nothing happened. Do you know usually when Satan is doing this, nothing's happening? You're enjoying the experience. You're having an affair with somebody. You've kept it hidden. Nobody knows. It's pleasurable. You're smart. You do it out of town. You don't send text messages. Come on now. And it seems like nothing's going to happen. At least not yet. Sinning over time makes a spiritual stronghold take deep root in our mind and our desires. I've even, I, I heard a preacher say one time, and he wasn't making a joke. He, he, he had found a new woman that he wanted to be with, and he said this. He said, I prayed about it, and I feel like God wants me to be happy, and he's released me from my first wife, and this is God's will for me. Can I tell you, that man was in the throes of deception because he couldn't keep his pants on. Come on now. It grows deeper. It becomes a stronghold. But yet when we resist what Satan offers, listen, friends, we'll win. But if we don't resist it, these thoughts, impulses, desires, he'll take over. And then the climax Something happens to push us over the edge. The issue here is timing. I wonder why Judas didn't get rebuked for two and a half years. It was a timing issue. I wonder why 
people that you know and respect. It happens all the time. I'm keenly aware of it in my own life. I see, every year it seems like there's three or four prominent pastors that I know and respected that had an affair, had something happen to them and slipped. Time. And Satan wants to, Satan wants to, to pull the plug and expose it when it's going to do the most damage to the most people. Mary had anointed the feet of... You're awful quiet out there. Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. Judas got angry after Jesus rebuked him. Let's read Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 6. Uh, Jesus replied to Judas after she had uh, anointed... Uh, Mary had anointed his, uh, his feet. Jesus said, why do you criticize her for doing a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want. What's the first word in verse 10? Then, at that moment, Satan is looking at for the opportune moment to throw your hand up. Then, Judas went to the leading priest who arranged to betray Jesus, and they promised to give him money. Jesus touched his money, God. When he rebuked him, his pride got into gear, and anger made him run out the door, and no one understood what was going on but Jesus, and he betrayed the Son of God. Now, let me, let me tell you what Satan does after that. Instead of happiness, Satan will give us remorse and shame. You would think someone that did that, you would think a pilot, you would think a Pharisee, you would think a Judas would be happy after they did it, but not so. Judas got the money, but listen to Matthew 27. Judas realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. He was filled with, filled with it. So he took, see, before that, it was what can I do with that money? I'm going to buy a ranch with turkeys on it. But now that ranch wasn't so appealing. They took, uh, he was filled with remorse. He took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and said, I betrayed an innocent man. And listen to what they said. What do we care? What do we care? That's your problem. And then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and he went out and hanged himself. Listen, friends, what the devil offers, it seems so good, but it's like the bait on a hook that bass grabs and before he know it, knows it, he's in your frying pan. Come on. That's the way the devil works. Now, let me, let me kind of wrap this up. Um, I want to give you some hints. This is not... Uh, like I said, this was a sermon about manipulation and control. But let me tell you how you can avoid this love of money thing. And the most important thing, I think, is this. It's built on the great commandment. You know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here's the conflict. Jesus said, Matthew 6, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. And then Jesus said, you're going to be devoted to one and you'll refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So this is where the whole issue is, my heart. Do I want God to have a part of my life? Or do I want to come to the place where I want Jesus to be the Lord of everything I have? See, when we come to the place, even with money, when we can do that with God. And I'm not asking for your money today. I'm just simply telling you. Do I want Jesus to be my Savior or my Savior and my Lord? And if I open my heart up, come on, to Christ as Lord, 
Money will always be secondary in your life. You'll never have a problem with the love of money because you'll love God more. And it will bring you great joy. Nothing brings me greater joy than when I give money to help somebody and to do the work of the Lord. Now, I enjoy the binoculars and all the things of my life, but there's something about putting God first. In a very, very practical nature, this is why I tithe on a personal level. I've been doing it for 40 years. Anytime I receive anything, I give God 10%. And you know what? It cuts the cord of loving money in my life. I'll tell you one more very practical thing. If before you spend uh, uh, the larger sums of money, Look, you're going to go to Sam's now, and that's a large sum right there, but not Sam's, okay? I'm talking about before you buy a car, buy a house, before you do something big and something big, pray about it. Because praying is an act of submission to God. And if I will at least submit to God, have you ever bought anything and, and maybe prayed, maybe didn't, but you had this bad feeling all along like you shouldn't have got it, and it turned out that not to make you as happy? That's what I'm talking about. Go with the peace of God. And how many know the peace of God will always lead us to a good place and you'll never have to do that again because you've broken free from the control of the love of money and Jesus has your heart, not Satan. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and I want to I close with this scripture and I want to pray with you. you. Remember, this is not just an informative series of what's out there. This is a fight back series. You remember our scripture in James 4, 7? says, humble yourselves before God. This is before the resist the devil. Humble yourself before God. That means give yourself completely to him. And then it says, resist the devil and he'll flee. So why does it say humble myself before God? It's because, and i got to be honest with you, I don't always have the power to break that. I may feel it in church right now. But when the tempter knocks on my door, come on. When he knocks, when there's a call that comes to you from a friend inviting you to go to a place that you know you shouldn't go to, I mean, no, it's a whole lot easier to say yes then than in church. It's easy to say no in church. It's hard out there. Humble yourself before God. Say, God, I need you now more than I've ever needed you in my life. And I want us to pray on that scripture today that if we resist him, he'll free. But here's what I want us to pray. I want us to pray that God would help us close the door. And I want you to bow your head right now, and I'm going to mention those doors one more time. And if I touch one that you feel the Holy Spirit has touched you about a potential weakness, about a place that Satan's trying to manipulate you, I want you to just pray, Lord, give me strength and help me break that power. Father, I want to ask you today on behalf of myself and all of my friends that you would deliver us from any stronghold in our life. If we have the love of money, Lord, that drives us, this lust for success, we want to confess that we've loved something more than you and ask you to help us find the balance. Maybe it's sexual lust, pornography. Come on, ask God if that's you. Say, Lord, give me the power to Set, be, be set free give me the power God to break that cord break the cords today of anger, hatred violence if it's got a hook in your life if it's defined you it's spiritual you may not you can probably not be able to control it on your own but with the help of the Holy Spirit he can change you, ask him right now how about fear 
I'm faced almost every day with not doing something because fear knocks on my door. But the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Holy Spirit, would you just come and break the power of fear? Break its power in Jesus' name. Deliver us of pride. Maybe as we climb the ladder of success, God slowly becoming second. God, we confess our sin. We want you to be enthroned forever on our hearts. Envy, jealousy. Come, Holy Spirit, today. Unforgiveness. Would you just slip your hands to heaven right now and say, God, I feel helpless sometimes. Slip your hands to heaven. It's an act of surrender. To God, it's an act of worship, but in this case, it's an act of surrender as the, from the children of God to our Heavenly Father. Today, Lord, we surrender to you today, Lord, our weaknesses. We just acknowledge that this thing controls us. It's taken root in our lives. And Satan seems to manipulate us at will. We receive your forgiveness, but we want to receive the power of God to break free so we don't have to live under his control any longer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody give the Lord a big hand today. He's worthy, worthy, worthy of our praise. Pastor Mike is going to close the service, but I, I want to invite our prayer team to come to the front. We want to offer one more step. Prayer team, come on up around the front right now. I want you to get some oil. We have some oil here. There's nothing magical about oil, but oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We're going to anoint you today. If you're here and you say, Pastor, there's a stronghold in my life, and I don't want Satan to take me where he wants it to go, but I want somebody to pray with me personally and pray that I get victory and deliverance. So they'll be here as long as you want after the service today. Listen, I love you. Thank you so much for coming. Let me mention this before Pastor Mike comes. Uh, we have, during the summertime, we have service in the sanctuary on Wednesday night. Kids have their youth ministry going on. The young kids have that theirs going on. But what we do Wednesday night is, is totally different from Sundays. On Wednesday night, it, we don't have a, a structure and an order per se. What we do, the first part, we pray at 6.30. At 7 o'clock, some worship starts. But then we try to let the Holy Spirit lead the service. And we try to focus on spiritual gifts. Last week, we had a lot, lot of people that come and came and just shared testimonies about how they found God's victory. Others had a word of encouragement, a word of prophecy. Others shared scriptures. And we did what the Bible says, the body ministered to itself in love. So if you're looking for something like that, Wednesday night, 6.30, worship is at 7. Love you. Amen. As you go, if you're a guest, be sure to fill out that card and stop by the Connect room on the way by, and they got a free gift for you. And if you want to give, there's ushers in the back and offering boxes and debt machines out there. But I want to ask you a question before you go. Are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? That's one of the things you want to make sure of before you leave. But let me read a scripture from you, for you. It says, this is Jesus saying this. This is the red letters. These are the words you want to read when Jesus is talking. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And my yoke is easy, my burden light. You know, you're, you can find rest, peace, security in your soul. And the only way you're going to find that is through Jesus Christ. So if there's not a rest, there's an uneasiness, or there's this yoke upon you that you know it's not the Lord leading you, and you're just kind of be led around, and it could be something pastors preached about. But basically, if you need to get things right with God, 
if you've never asked Jesus into your life and you want to make sure you're going to heaven, you want to make sure that you have that peace in your heart, can I just see your hand before we go and we'll just say a prayer and have you come to the cross? But if you're not sure you'd go to heaven, you need to get right with God. I'm going to give you a chance just to get right with God before you go. And it's not about joining the church. It's about asking Jesus into your heart. And if that's you, I just want you to come over to that cross, and we're going to say a prayer and give you the opportunity to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Help me to follow you. And I'm telling you, that's where the peace will begin to come in your heart. And that's where you'll get find rest in your soul. Amen. So the altar team's here to pray with you about anything. And as you go, we'll worship a little bit longer. But we'll stay around, and we'll pray with you as long as you need. God bless you. Come on, let's lift our voices in worship. For a few more minutes, you are welcome to stay with us. But if you would like, you are free to go. You are dismissed this morning. Thank you again. It's great to see you. Come back next week.